Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then if you drop down to verse 35, it says just about the same thing. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So cast not away therefore your confidence. That is a word for the Lord, from the Lord for River Church right now. Cast not away therefore your confidence. It's so tempting. I know it's tempting sometimes to give up and to give up our dreams, and to let go of our hope. But I heard Curry Blake say this, and I've remembered that long time ago, many long years ago, I heard Marilyn Hickey say it, is that it's most tempting to give up right before you're going to get your breakthrough, and that most people stop, give up, cast away their confidence right before their breakthrough happens. And our breakthrough is right ahead. I just want to encourage you. I know sometimes we think, Maybe as a church, we shouldn't have gone through everything we're going through and all that. But let me just remind you of something. I heard this, that John Alexander Dowie, he actually is pretty much responsible for healing being in all Pentecostal churches. All the Pentecostals of the early 20th century, 1900s, early 1900s, they all came out of Dowie's ministry. Parham, John G. Lake, F.F. Bosworth, he wrote that book, Christ the Healer, Raymond T. Ritchie, all of those, they came out of Dowie's ministry. And Dowie did not even believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He fought it. And he literally got millions of people healed and so awesome. But did you know that he was arrested 100 times in one year for preaching the gospel? And the point is that the people that have had success with healing ministries, they've had to have some grit. We need some grit in the church today. And I believe River Church is a church with grit. I think y'all have held on through it all. Hallelujah. And so I just want to commend you for your grit. And I'm going to say, don't give up. Don't cast away your confidence. Hallelujah. The enemy will try to get us off. Praise God for healing and those things that are passed down to us. Uh, so Brother Parham, Brother Parham, you know, is the man in Kansas. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Kansas right after the turn of the century. And so Brother Parham went to Alexander Dowie's meeting, or he went to Zion, Illinois, that, you know, and that's that town in Illinois it still exists, that Alexander Dowie started the town, and it was all based on healing, and hallelujah, the streets were named for Bible words, and I don't know, and they still are, they say. Anyway, pretty awesome. So Parham went there, preached the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and Dowie didn't like it. Dowie started hundreds of churches. We know that Dowie kind of got messed up in the end, maybe the last three years. What he did for us is phenomenal what he did for the body of Christ, what the things that he uh, was able to accomplish with his life are phenomenal. He started churches all over the earth, all over South Africa. The churches that John G. Lake went to were Dowie churches. They went in and they brought the baptism of the Holy Spirit into those churches. And, and uh, there was some contention over that. God's been moving. And he still is. He's not stopped. God's not dead. Hallelujah. He is alive and he is moving. Amen. I just wanted to encourage you with that. Don't give up. Have some grit. Let's have some grit in our life and just plow through. 
We've come too far to turn back now. I saw this in prayer before the service. I saw this. It's like we're not the kind of people and we can't be this kind of people where this healing center is concerned. We can't just like wade in and kind of test the waters. That's not going to work if we do that. What we've got to do is we've got to go to the diving board on the deep end and just jump in. And that's what we got to do. So, hallelujah. So we've been praying for courage. Somebody prayed for that tonight. So picking up from last week, we're going to start with the second sacred cow. When we say sacred cow, what we mean is it's a traditional belief that's not true, although many thousands of people, maybe millions, believe it. It's a tradition of men. The Bible says that the traditions of men make the Word of God of none effect. In other words, they take the power out of the Word of God. The Bible says that sometimes people have a form of godliness. They deny the power thereof. And so these sacred cows are commonly held beliefs that you can nearly start a war if you say that that's not right because, well, that's been passed down through the generations in churches. Grandma believed it. Great-grandma believed it. And, you know, and it's just not true. False. It's false. Let's go to Matthew 13, verse 53. 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country... Everybody say his own country. country. You might want to circle that. It's very important. He taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? So I want you to notice and recognize that they recognized the fact that Jesus was preaching with a wisdom that was beyond what they had heard before. And they also recognized that he was doing mighty works. That word, that phrase there, these mighty works, is the word, is the Greek word dunamis, and it's miracle working power. The miracle working power. They saw it. It was right there before them. They even acknowledged it. This man has wisdom. This man has mighty works. That's important to note. Verse 55. But then they said this. They said, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended. Say offended. In him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Now, if you've been around any time at all and tried in any way to witness to your kinfolks, you've probably found out, I am without honor with my own kinfolks. They pay no attention to what I say. Hallelujah. You can be a a nationally known Bible teacher, and sometimes your own kinfolks, they don't have anything because a prophet is without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. So let's point some things out here. The sacred cow is that Jesus could do no mighty works in his own hometown because of their own belief. And we find that in verse 58. 
in verse 58 in Matthew, it says, and he did not many mighty works. I want you to notice that there because of their unbelief. They saw the mighty works, but then they said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is his, not his mother not Mary? Is his brothers not this? And then they even go as far as to his sisters. And women were not that but well esteemed in, in Bible days. But he even went down that far and he said that. And let's just make note here that familiarity is deadly. And so these people had a problem that they were familiar with Jesus and they were offended in him. Several reasons. First of all, they were jealous. And that tends to happen with your brothers and your sisters and people that know you. Well, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are? And why do they have this power? Because we know they're no better than us ourselves. We know that God doesn't give gifts into men and he doesn't call men to do things because they're better than other people. He just calls them because he calls them. It says in the Bible, he chooses whom he will choose. And it's not a matter of, well, they are better. And so they knew this man and they knew he was just ordinary. Maybe Jesus wasn't even as good a carpenter as they were. Who knows? They pointed out he is just ordinary. He is just a carpenter. And then it says that he did not many mighty works there. So Matthew leads us to believe that he didn't do no mighty works. But he must have done some mighty works or he would have not said not many. And so he did some mighty works. And it said there, the reason he did this is because of their unbelief. Now we need to point out at this point that unbelief is refusal to believe. Unbelief is seeing a miracle and saying, no, I will not believe. Unbelief is bad. Doubt is different than unbelief. Doubt, actually the word doubt means to be of two minds. And doubt is when a person really does believe. They believe in their heart, but their head is, it's like they're back and forth. Well, I believe, I really believe I'm healed, but the doctor says, or my grandmother says, and you know, so you're having this struggle between two minds. Unbelief is just flat wicked. When you just decide not to believe, you see it, you know it's true but I just refuse to believe it because I just don't want to believe it. They just did not want to believe it because it was Jesus. Doubt is uh, more about being double-minded and struggling. And God wants to help us with our struggle when we have doubts that come to our mind. The way we get rid of doubts is to renew our mind. The question that I'm going to ask you tonight, and I think this is the question that answers why this is a sacred cow and so the sacred cow is this, is that if there's any unbelief anywhere, then God can't heal anybody in the room. If there's unbelief, he can't heal. But I think we're going to prove that out, that that's not true, that he can heal even when there's people in the room that don't believe. And I'm going to present to you that Jesus can heal people that are unbelieving that have chosen unbelief. But there is a condition on that, and I'll show it to you. So Jesus couldn't because of their unbelief, or Jesus wouldn't? And I think the answer to that is Jesus can always heal. So to say he couldn't is not right. To say he wouldn't is kind of half right. Really, the answer to the problem is they wouldn't because of their unbelief. That's the situation. Now let's go over to Mark 6 and look at it there. It's, this is recorded again in Mark 6. Mark 6 verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. 
And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Wrought by his hands. I want you to notice there that Jesus was ministering with the laying on of hands. He said, What mighty works are these which are wrought by his hands? So they acknowledged the mighty works again in this passage. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon and are not his sisters here with us and they were offended at him they were jealous they were they were offended at him and jealous because of their familiarity with him verse 4 but Jesus said unto them a prophet is not without honor but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house and he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them and marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages teaching. So it notice there in verse 2, it says, even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. It's important that we acknowledge here that this was done by the laying on of hands. In verse 5, and he could there do no mighty works save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. Now we know because we have understanding here, I don't have to teach you this again, that Jesus never turned away anybody that ever came to him for healing. Never did. Never said, no, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait a while. Never said, no, you know, I'm, God's got this on you. He's got it for a purpose. He's teaching you something. He never said any of that stuff. He never said that, well, I have a purpose in this so you can be a witness and you can be a testimony, which are common things that people say about sickness. He never said, you know, in this case, it's my will for you to be sick, but it's not my will for them, so I'm going to heal them. He didn't pick and choose. He is a no respecter of persons, the Bible says. What he's done for one, he'll do for all. Here's what's the really truth in this scripture that we missed, is that no, Jesus didn't do a lot of mighty works there. But the reason he didn't do a lot of mighty works is because of their unbelief, their refusal to believe, and for their refusal to get in the healing line. He had a healing line because we know that because he was laying hands on the sick in this case. Now, he didn't always lay hands on the sick. Sometimes he healed another way. But in this case, in this passage, he was laying hands on the sick. And anybody wanted to come get in that healing line could come get in that healing line. And Jesus would have healed them. But because of their unbelief and because they were offended, you know what offended looks like? But there's what offended looks like. Just close your arms and glare and won't come up and get in the healing line and if you say well joey won't you come on up here and let me pray for you and let me i'm already healed i believed i received when i prayed and i'm already healed that's what offended looks like hallelujah and that's pride you know we can also go along and say you know that's pride that's part of their problem too they were prideful they didn't want to humble themselves under somebody they knew under their hands i'm prideful i'm just as good as you i have just as much as you have i'm just as spiritual as you are prideful and offended and just wouldn't flat come get in Jesus' healing line. Can you imagine not coming get and in the healing line that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, of course, we have more revelation about who he is, who he was than they had about who he was at the time. But can you imagine in hindsight, looking back, you know, they're still probably kicking themselves. <laughs> for not getting in the healing line of Jesus. Hallelujah. So that's a sacred cow that Jesus would not heal. Jesus will always heal. 
And I am persuaded, and I think I've seen this happen many times, that people that, well, I really don't believe this, they come up and get in the healing line anyway for whatever reason, and God does not withhold because they've been stubborn and bullheaded and so I don't believe this stuff and all that kind of stuff. No, he does not withhold. And I believe you'll see some people coming in into our healing center and they'll say, well, I don't really believe this stuff. But they came anyway. And because they come to Jesus, they're coming to Jesus, they're coming to Jesus, God will not withhold healing. Now, this is a sacred cow because we got taught, well, if they got unbelief, you might as well not even pray because they're not going to get anything. Well, if you believe they're not going to get anything, you're not going to put both feet in that pot and put all your faith on it to get them healed, are you? I know one time in Seminole, now this doesn't have anything to do with healing, but it does have to do with somebody not believing and refusing to believe. We had this man, we had a big family that was coming to our church, and so the sister and brother-in-law moved to town, and they started coming to our church, and I think his name was James. So he saw some people get slain in the spirit you know, fall out under the power, however you want to call it. And he said, well, I don't believe that. And he said these words. He said, they're just wolfing. They're just wolfing. I don't believe that. That's not right. So he came up and got in line for something. I don't know if it was for healing or for finances or something we were praying for. And guess what? God, God clobbered him. And he went out under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he just got up just in a... I mean, God really got him. And he just kind of got up in a daze and shaking his head. And he said, well, I just thought they were wolfing. Well, if they'll get in the line and they'll come to the healing center, or if, if you can talk them into letting you pray for them anyway, yeah. even at work, hallelujah, yeah. God's bigger than their unbelief. Lord. And He's gone past a lot. Unbelief is bad. It is horrible, choosing and refusing to believe. But God gets past a lot of things that aren't that great with a lot of people, doesn't He? Amen. Just to mention it again to you, why did Jesus heal? Does anybody remember the three reasons Jesus healed? Compassion. The first reason Jesus healed was compassion. And we looked at all the scriptures about that. You can just get a concordance, look up the word compassion, and you will see that Jesus healed because of compassion. What was the second reason that Jesus healed? Because he's good. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Acts 10, 38, how Jesus went about doing good, healing all those that were sick and oppressed of the devil. And all of and over, the Bible talks about how Jesus is good. And the Bible says, He that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, for him it is sin. So it would have been a sin for Jesus not to heal the sick, because he knew to do good. Hallelujah. So Jesus, we know he never sinned, so we know he always healed the sick. So what was the third reason that Jesus healed? A sign that the kingdom had come. Not a sign that he was the Son of God. He did not heal to prove that he was the Son of God. He never did that. He healed to show them that the kingdom of God was coming. He told his disciples to go forth and tell the people that the kingdom of God is come near you and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. He sent out the disciples to do that very thing. We reviewed that little part to say, who did Jesus heal? Who did he always heal? Everybody that came to him. And sometimes he healed people that didn't come to him, too. We've got scriptures for that. But he always healed everybody that came to him. Let's go over to Luke 9, verse 11. And people miss healing today because, first of all, they try to get it where they're at. It's very difficult to get healing 
when you are in a place where they're teaching that healing passed away. You Now, you say, well, of course, that's simple. But you would be surprised the people that just don't want healing enough to come out. The Bible says in Corinthians, come ye out from among the unbeliever. And they just don't want healing that bad. You'd be surprised the people that don't come where the healing anointing is being manifest. Because I've heard people say this. I've heard this several times. Well, if Jesus wanted to heal me, he could do it right here. Well, that just doesn't line up with anything that we read in the Gospels. It talks over and over how they came to him in droves. The woman with the issue of blood came to him. The blind men came to him. The lepers came to him. Hallelujah. You better go. My grandmother said you better get at the spout where the glory's coming out. And if the glory ain't coming out at the spout, then you need to find another spout. Luke 9, 11, are you there? And the people, when they knew it, followed him. Or we could say came to him, it'd be the same difference. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. So who did Jesus heal? He healed those that came to him. They came to him. And several times in the Bible, it is recorded that Jesus healed them all. Jesus healed them all. And I know y'all are going to know this because we already talked about one. How did Jesus heal? How did Jesus heal in his own hometown? How did he heal? Laying on of hands. So Jesus healed two ways in the Gospels. The laying on of hands. And let me ask you this, okay? The Roman centurion that sent for Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll come. And he went. And before he got there, the Roman centurion sent word by his servant and said, Jesus, you don't even have to come. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And so how did Jesus heal in that instant? The command, through a word of command. Through a word of command, he commanded it, decreed it. Sometimes it comes out in Jesus more like a decree. Thy servant is well. Go and be healed. That's a command of faith. That's a command. And that's how we're going to heal the sick. Not any other way. Why? Because we're going to do it just like Jesus did. Now we're going to come to this. How much information did Jesus require to heal the sick? Let's go to Mark 10. Mark 10, verse 51. How much information did he have to know? We've got to find out if he had to know everything the doctor had said and all the diagnosis and what the x-rays looked like. Some of you probably know some medical stuff. All of us got an internet now and we're looking up medical stuff. I know I know some medical from some of the things I've been told and been through. But i got to put that aside when I go in there because we're not trying to do anything for them except the spiritual side. We don't want to get involved in the natural side at all. We get them healed. What they do with it is their business. If they want to keep going to the doctor, great. They want to keep taking the medicine, we don't care. We're not going to give them any advice. We're not going to give them anything like that. Jesus never did. He never talked to them about the medical side. Hallelujah. Mark 10, 51. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will should I do unto thee? The blind man said unto him. Now, probably Jesus could tell he was blind. Jesus still asked him, what do you want me to do? 
And that'll be our question when somebody sits down in front of us. Actually, we'll already know because they'll have a filled out of a sheet of paper. And we will know what they came for to be healed of. Now, they may come in a wheelchair but ask you to pray for their eyes because they just got a diagnosis of, and you're like, no, 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 no. This is obvious. (laughs) But we're going to go for what they want. At least that's what we're going to do first. What would thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, I want you to disregard the fact that he commends him on his faith. That's great. We're happy that he had faith. But it wouldn't have made any difference to Jesus if he had had no faith. It wouldn't have made any difference if he had come to Jesus and Jesus had said, he's not a big faith guy, I can tell that, but he's coming to me. He may be coming just because he heard and he's basing it on compassion. Now, there's always a level of faith to that. But this man, something in him had really gotten a hold of Jesus because of his faith. We notice here that Jesus didn't require any more information. He didn't need information. He didn't say, well, were you blind from birth? He didn't ask for anything. He didn't ask. We don't have to know if someone blind comes into our healing center. We don't have to know if it's glaucoma or whatever it could be. And here's what Curry Blake says. Start narrow and go wide if you have to. Start as narrow as you can. Blind eyes open in Jesus' name. We command these eyes to see in the name of Jesus. You spirit of infirmity causing blindness, we command you to go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Jesus did it the same way. He actually issued a command here. He said, go thy way. And he basically decreed, you're whole. He put thy faith in front of it, but he said, go thy way, you're whole. It was a decree. It was a command. And immediately he received his sight. So he did not need much information except what do you want? Let's go to Matthew 9, verse 20. Here's what I came to the conclusion of as I meditated on this even today. The more information that we get, the more unbelief we're going to get into. The more I know about what the doctor said, and he said it was terminal, and he said I had 60 days to live, and that's fine if they tell it. I mean, you know, we can't really gag them and tie them to pray for them. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it is going to work against our minds. So the less we can know, if we just say, well, it's stomach cancer, okay, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we command cancer to go. You foul spirit of infirmity, I command you to leave this person now in Jesus' name. And I release healing into this body, and I command every organ that's been damaged to be restored right now by the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And if you get wound up in all that other, it can be a place where you move over and get into unbelief. So keep your mind focused. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Nothing's impossible to Him. Doesn't matter what the doctor said. Nothing's impossible to Him. No case too hard. If they said, today's my last day. Tomorrow, they said I'd die in three weeks and this is the... 20th day and tomorrow's the 21st and you go well you know is it harder to get somebody that's right there healed or that they got six more weeks which is harder which is harder neither one is it easier to raise the dead that's been dead 20 minutes or been dead 20 days dead is dead it's harder because we're fighting the unrenewed mind 
That's why Jesus tarried when they told him Lazarus was dead. When they said he was sick, Jesus didn't go. When they told him he was dead, he didn't get in a hurry because there's no hurry after you're dead. And he tarried for three days. He let him start stinking. He wanted to do a demonstration to them. I know. We hope that everybody just has a headache. <laughs> no, we shouldn't be that way. We should really ask Jesus to send the worst cases from the very beginning. Yeah. Most people don't come for a headache. Unless they've had it 30 days or something. Hallelujah. Matthew 9, verse 20. We're just trying to think right here. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. This woman got healed, and Jesus didn't even know who she was. So you don't really even have to know who they are. Because he didn't know. And she just took hold of his garment. And then we go to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, 35. Now I'm teaching you things that I hadn't experienced all of these. But we're just going by what the Word says. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. I think these men are to be commended. They heard about a healing. They just went out on all, just everybody, rounded up the whole countryside and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Hallelujah. That's amazing, isn't it? So crowds came to Jesus. Hallelujah. They just took hold of his garments and got healed. So my admonition to us tonight that we trust the command of faith. That we begin to determine and make a decision that when we make the command of faith, we're going to trust it. The Lord's reminding me of this. A prophet is without honor, and sometimes the one that gives the prophet the least honor of all is our own self. We don't give ourselves credit for who's inside us. And it isn't really us. It's not this flesh and bone body. It's not this personality. It doesn't matter what my personality is. I'm not getting you healed because I got a good personality. It's not about that I have a talent. Boy, she speaks really well or she's very bold even. Yeah, there is a boldness that's needed, but it's just a boldness to act and a boldness to command the devil. But it's not about me. It's not about... Well, boy, that preacher, he really looks anointed. He really sounds anointed. I tell you what, some of the least anointed people in the whole world are good-looking preachers. It is true. It is true. And some of the people that know who they are and carry, and boy, they know and they have faith in their prayers and they know what is some little old ladies with their hair in a bun that never come out of the back room because they're praying. You may have had a horrible past. Forget those things that lie behind. You may have had a horrible yesterday. You're going to come to healing and prayer center sometimes, and you've had a horrible day. But it's not about you. It's about who's in you. It's about Jesus. And we're going to have to remind ourselves of that constantly. We're going to have to remind ourselves. And we're going to have to see ourselves with the anointing of God that dwells on the inside of us. I have an anointing that never leaves. The Bible says in 1 John, you have an anointing from the Holy One. It's the abiding anointing, the anointing that abides. 
Gifts may come, they may go. We may have gifts sometimes, but it don't matter. We got an anointing that it bides. Jesus lives in us. He walks in us. We got to start really believing we're wall to wall Jesus, wall to wall Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We've been filled. Glory to God. So trust the command of faith. We notice in these scriptures where Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. We notice when he says they had great faith. Where healing or any other ministry is concerned, there's both a push and a pull. Now I'm talking to you as healing ministers tonight, and I've told you to get in with both feet. That means when you pray for somebody, you push with your faith, your faith that's in your heart, you push with everything you've got. And hallelujah, praise God, if they're pulling. Now that's why Jesus commended them. He can push, and he could push it all the way. But they were pulling, and he was pushing. They were pulling on something. And we're going to get some people that pull, and we're going to get some people that there's a limp in their faith. And you know, we just push anyway. Just push with everything we've got. So don't worry about the pull. We're grateful when there's some pull. And you know, if you pray for somebody in this church, you're probably going to get some pull. But I'll guarantee you, not always. Not always. Even myself. One time I was in Brother Hagen's line, and he told me, don't just stand there like a dummy. <laughs> That's actually, he said, don't just stand there like a dummy. You know, I was probably just in such awe. that I was one of those that's like, oh, Brother Hayden's laying hand on me. I wasn't thinking about it. Pull on something. Get something. That's what he was saying. Don't just stand there like a dummy. Take it. That's what he said. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Okay, now let's go to Acts 5, verse 15. We've read over and over how Jesus healed them all. When they came, when the multitudes came, and they came, the Bible says they came to hear and be healed, and Jesus healed them all. We've seen it over and over. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is no respecter of persons. Now, we've got the Bible that says Jesus healed them all, and then we go over there and say, well, you know, sometimes it might not be God's will to heal. Well, hallelujah. That's just old stinking thinking. Hallelujah. The apostles healed them all. I'm no exception. You're no exception. Jesus healed us all. Now this is in Acts. Jesus already, death, burial, and resurrection already happened. Seated at the right hand of God. Insomuch that they brought the fourth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So not only did Jesus heal them all, who else healed them all? The, yeah, the apostles. Peter and the apostles, those that were with him. Now we need to talk about this a little bit, because here we got this thing where the shadow of Peter... 
This has nothing to do with his shadow. This not as having anything to do with where the sun was in the sky and that there's a shadow over here. We know that because it says Jesus healed them all. So it has nothing to do with the shadow because otherwise only the people on this side of the street where the shadow was going, where his actual shadow was going, would have got healed. But what they're saying in this scripture is that the dunamis miracle working power was radiating out of Peter about the length of his shadow about that far out and so they got anywhere within the length of his shadow they were getting healed otherwise it wouldn't have said he healed every one of them it would have said he healed everybody on the right side of the street as he was walking down hey if we live this stuff enough if we eat sleep drink and breathe it then i guarantee you it'll begin to radiate out of us and we will go into the office and it'll be radiating out of us. You walk down the hall. I would just love to see this at Coral. He, they just walk down the hall and people are just getting slain in the spirit all over the place. And nobody's touching anybody. But this power is radiating out of them. Why? We got to jump in with both feet. We got to take hold of this. In Exodus, it says that when that burning bush happened, Moses didn't just walk on by and say, well, that's interesting. The Bible says that he turned aside to it. We're going to have to put our whole life in it. If you want Peter results, and Peter's not anything special here. He's not the Pope. He's not special. He's just all in. Fully in with everything he has. So it wasn't just Jesus that healed them all. Hallelujah. I believe... We will have nights like that where Jesus healed them all. I want to talk about what does it mean to be like Jesus? Remember a few years ago when, what would Jesus do? What that was actually encouraging was that we make decisions and do the things that Jesus would do. Or you could say it like this, that we be like Jesus. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? And we know that the Bible tells us to be like him. We'll turn to Matthew 10 to look at that. When it talks about being like Jesus, I think most people interpret being like Jesus as being a moral thing. In other words, we don't sin. We're like Jesus. We don't get in adultery. We're moral. We live moral lives. And that is great. And we want to be like Jesus. And praise God, let's do it. We may have messed up in the past, but from here on out, let's be like Jesus. Then I think the next thing that people think when you say be like Jesus is they think of it in the sense of do unto others. In other words, be kind. Be like Jesus was and be good to people. Be kind. Let a soft answer. Turn away wrath. All those things that the Bible teaches us to do, and that's great. That's what we want to be. But, you know, if you're going to truly be like Jesus, you're also going to have to turn the tables over sometime and speak up and be bold and say, get your sorry self out of here which is basically what he did hallelujah loving them all the time matthew 10 23 but there's another thing that being like jesus means matthew 10 23 verse 23 but when they persecute you in this city flee into another for verily i say unto you you shall not have gone over the cities of israel till the son of man be come the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or the devil, how much more shall they call them of his household? If we're going to be like Jesus and we truly do the works of Jesus, we are going to encounter some persecution. 
And most of the time that's going to be because of jealousy or competition. There's nothing that religious people hate worse than for you to do miracles when they don't do them. And another thing they hate is they don't like to see you prosper. Religious people don't want you to prosper. They're going to be mad if you prosper. They're going to do mad if you do miracles and mighty works. There's just two or three things that make them mad, and that makes them mad. And so persecution comes for that. That word persecute there means to press forward on and to get the law after. In the Greek, it means to actually get the law after. Hallelujah. So persecution. We're not above our master. Jesus said at one place, if they hated me, they'll hate you. I think that the more you're persecuted, probably, and the more that people speak badly of you, the more you're doing right, the more you're following the Bible. Luke 6, 39 and 40. We're going to see how what it means to be like Jesus. So we're not going to be all upset and, and, and if we get persecuted. Just keep our eyes on Jesus. Luke six thirty nine, And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. Well, if we're going to be perfect or mature, we're going to have to do just what Jesus did. We're going to have to have a ministry of healing if we're truly going to be like Jesus. If every Christian is called to be like Jesus, then listen, every Christian is called to be in the ministry of healing, to lay hands on the sick. And Mark 16 backs that up. Those that believe, the signs will follow them. Mark 16, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall cast out devils. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to be ministers of healing. We're going to be a minister of the new covenant. The new covenant is a covenant of both forgiveness of sin and healing. We will cover that. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 11. And it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints that word perfecting means maturing or even a better translation is equipping equipping of the saints so he gave apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so we are called to equip the saints as pastors uh, so that you can do the work of the ministry in other words so you can be ministers of healing and ministers of salvation and ministers of deliverance casting out devils for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. So if the apostles do and the prophets and the evangelists past teachers do what they're supposed to do and they train or equip the saints and then the saints do the work of the ministry and they do the ministry of Jesus, the works of Jesus, which he said the works I do, that greater works will you do. If the saints do that, the Bible says that the body of Christ will be edified or built up. So I'm expecting as you begin to minister healing in the prayer and healing center and that we're training you to do it, not so much us doing it, that there's going to be a great building up of the body of Christ in Tuscaloosa like never before. I'm fully expecting this. Verse 13, till we all come. How long are we going to do this? 
We're going to do it till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's just total completion. That we henceforth be no more. This is another job of the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry. Be no more children that the saints be no more children, that they're not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And another job of the fivefold ministry, to speak the truth in love, that the saints may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so as pastors, we have job security. Because until Jesus comes back, do we all come to the measure of the fullness of Christ, which that's going to happen when Jesus returns. Because 1 John says, we do not know what we shall be, but when he comes, we shall be like him. And that's when we're all in the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. So we have job security. There's always going to be saints. And there's always going to be people to help. And you have job security because there's always going to be ministry to be done. There's always going to be ministry to be done. Always going to be a new crop. First John 2, I'll just read this to you, 4 through 6. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We got to do the ministry of Jesus. We got to do what he said we'd do, which is First John four seventeen says, "As he is, so are we in this world." It's not as he was; it's as he is now. As he is now, so are we in this world. Well, what's the difference? Because we want to do his works that he did then. But I want to tell you something: Jesus ministered under the old covenant. We minister under the new. I believe that that's part of what he meant when he said, "Greater works." Hallelujah, because he was ministering under an old covenant. We're ministering under a new. The one thing that Jesus is now that he wasn't then is he is sealed. Jesus came. He came and he stripped himself of his divinity. And it says in Romans 8, 3, he came in the likeness of sinful man. So in other words, what I'm saying is because he wasn't sealed on the inside like we are now because we're born again, because he wasn't sealed, he could have chosen to go the wrong way. That's how he won for us. As a natural man, in the likeness of sinful man, he never sinned. He chose never to sin. And he never sinned. Hallelujah. And now it says in John that he has been sealed. It says that in John six twenty-seven, Him hath God sealed now. And I don't know when that happened, but it was sometime after the resurrection that God sealed him. Listen, if he had already been sealed when he walked the earth, he couldn't have become sin for us. He became sin, spirit, soul, and body for us. And hallelujah, he won that war. Oh, praise God. And now the Bible says, I'll tell you the scriptures, you can look them up. 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, Ephesians one thirteen. Ephesians 4.30, all three of those scriptures say that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means our spirit man is sealed. It's not going anywhere. Our spirit man is right. Even when we make the biggest mess in the world with our flesh or the biggest mess in the world with our soul, our mind, no matter what our mind 
does crazy that day, no matter what, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit and our spirit is intact. If you're truly born again and you're sealed, you can go jump off the bridge. You won't go to hell. A lot of people say, well, you know, you commit suicide. You're going to go to hell. No, you won't. If you're born again, you won't. Of course, that just means your mind. You were crazy in your mind. And people do get crazy in their minds. But we have a renewed mind. You renew your mind every day, you won't get crazy in your mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus.